Welcome to This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for 23 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry, and by night, I'm an author, blogger, and virtual assistant. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had type 1 for 7 years. I love hiking and painting, and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 28 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. And Jesse's out this week. So today I'm talking with Molly Johannes the brain behind Hugging the Cactus, a blog about living with diabetes and learning how to embrace it, prickles and all. Quick reminder for everybody, if you have questions about type one or the show, please leave us a comment or an email at colleen at inspiredforward.com. We answer listener questions in future episodes. I have both the win and the fail of the week this week, since Jesse's out and I actually had a fail. But first, the win. I decided to change my set after just two days because my cartridge had just barely enough to get me through the next day, and I was flying the next morning. And flying always influences my numbers in ways I don't like. So I'm counting that as foresight and preparation as a win, despite only having the site in for basically two and a half days. And my fail this week is a failure I can learn from. I gave a 40-minute talk at a company conference in Orlando earlier this week, and my CGM perfectly captured the adrenaline high. My blood sugar went up to about 207, and the graph shows that it started creeping up about 10 minutes before I went in front of everyone, and then it steadily climbed for the next 40 minutes. It was great. My pump even beeped and buzzed while I was up in front of everyone, and I made a joke about it because my pump was sitting basically right underneath the lapel mic, and it was audible through the speakers. Not very audible, but it was audible. And now that I know how my blood sugar behaves when I speak in front of over 100 people, I can preemptively bolus the next time I deliver a talk, and that's most likely happening in the next couple weeks. But it's also happening later in the year and into next year, since talking in front of people is something I want to continue doing, surprisingly enough. The hack this week. Sometimes it can be frustrating to time infusion site or sensor insertion so that when you have to change them, it's not at an inconvenient time. The Dexcom G4 and G5 sensors were seven-day sensors, so it was pretty easy to keep track of when you had to change it maybe every Sunday, or maybe every Wednesday night. The G6 sensors are 10-day sensors, which makes it a lot more difficult to keep timing in mind. In case in point, on my trip to Houston, I inserted a sensor at 7.20 p.m. Central Time, which meant it expired around 5.20 p.m. Pacific Time 10 days later, which happened to be a Friday. But 10 days from that Friday night is a Monday night that I'm scheduled to be having a massage when the sensor expires. So I decided to go without the sensor overnight and put on a new one in the morning so that the timing is convenient going forward. The hack for keeping track of this is to put it in your calendar. Add a reminder for yourself as soon as you put on a new sensor or a new site. The tandem pumps have a change set reminder built into the load process, so it automatically reminds you to change your set at the time you choose. But there's no reminder for the sensor, and sometimes that timing can sneak up on you. And now let's get into the interview with Molly Johannes. All right. Hi, Molly. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So I've never actually met you before, and I found you through your blog, which is Hugging the Cactus. 
And I found yes. that because I was doing research for a podcast episode that just released this last week about pop culture with type 1 diabetes. So I, I wanted to talk to you about what your experience is with type 1 diabetes because I really like that title, Hugging the Cactus. Thank you very much. And actually, I did listen to that episode. It was really cool. Thank I enjoyed you. listening to that. But yeah, so I've had type 1 diabetes for 22 years now. I was diagnosed when I was four years old. So I basically, I like to say that I grew up with diabetes, especially since um, not only do I have it, but my mother has it. And my aunt, who is also my godmother, has it as well. So there's three of us in the family, in the immediate family, who have it. And yeah, growing up with diabetes was interesting, to say the least. But Hugging the Cactus came about a few years ago. Basically, when I was in college, I got the opportunity to write for an online diabetes magazine. And I did that for several years and then got the inspiration to start my own blog. Didn't really know what to call it, but the idea was always in the back of my head. And then one day I was at a very fancy restaurant. I was wearing like, you know, a fancy dress and stuff like that. And I had my Omnipod insulin pump and my Dexcom CGM. Both were on my arms. So I was heading to the ladies room and one of the waiters asked me, he was like, excuse me, miss, I don't mean to be rude, but what are those things? So I explained and... I guess I was very, you know, kind of chill about it. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I have type 1 diabetes and it is what it is. And he, I guess he just thought my attitude was really great about it. So he said, wow, like, it's really cool that you're taking something bad and just, you know, embracing it for what it is. It's like you're hugging the cactus. <laughs> so that's how the name came about. It stuck with me from that moment on. And I was like, that would be great for my blog. And it would really just um, convey the message that I'm trying to convey, which is, you know, diabetes sucks, but if you just embrace it for what it is, then it's really not that bad. That is so true. I love that it just kind of popped into his brain and then it just perfectly, yes. perfectly describes it. Yep. <laughs> so can you tell us about how you were diagnosed? So you were diagnosed at four, but what was kind of the story behind that? So the story behind my diagnosis, um, I don't remember much of it just because I was so young, but it was Christmas time. So my family and I were spending a lot of time with relatives and you know, my, my aunt, since she's also a type one and she's, she's been a type one for about 50 years now. So she, she's very familiar with it. She started noticing my symptoms, which, you know, I was going to the bathroom a lot, you know, was not generally looking like myself, things like that. And she was talking to my mom and she was like, you know what, I, I think she might want to bring her to the doctor. So I wound up going into the hospital on Christmas Eve. <laughs> so that was fun. Honestly, I, I don't have necessarily bad memories from it because I just like to tell people, you know, I got double the presence that year <laughs> because people felt so bad about my diagnosis. But yeah, I, there's not too much I remember from it, which is probably a good thing. I mean, I like to think of it as a blessing that I was diagnosed so young because it wasn't like this massive disruptor to my life. So in that way, I guess it's not that bad. I'm the same way. I was diagnosed at age two and don't remember anything before that. So it's, yep. it's basically our life. Exactly. What are your favorite things about having type one? By far, my favorite thing about having type one is meeting other people with type one. Now, that wasn't always the case. All throughout my childhood and teenage years, I was not really interested in connecting with other type ones. You know, my, my parents often said to me, why don't you try going to diabetes camp? And my endocrinologist would suggest the same thing. And I just wanted nothing to do with it. I figured, you know, I have my mom and my aunt. They're my type ones in my life. And that's all I really need. Like what I don't see the benefit in meeting peers with type one. And that changed just before I went off to college. My mom dragged me to this talk that was happening. 
it was, you know, parents and children with type one who were in college. And that was where at this talk, I met Tina Roth and she's the CEO and founder of the College Diabetes Network. So I found out that she went to UMass Amherst, which is where I was going to school. And my mom and I spoke to her at the end of the talk and she was like, yeah, UMass is where I got CDN started. There's still a chapter there. Like you should definitely consider checking it out. And I was like, okay, I mean, sure. <laughs> she seems really nice and you know, it might be helpful. Like I'm gonna be on my own for the first time in my life. It might be good to know other type ones on campus in case anything you know, ever comes up. So that was pretty much history. <laughs> like I, I decided to get involved from that point on in the CDN chapter. I met a few, maybe like five or six other type ones. It was kind of a small group. And I realized that there was this really awesome part about talking to other people with type one my age. Like these people get what I'm going through right now. They're also going through this transition from living at home with family to being on your own. So I felt a little bit less alone talking to them. So through my involvement with CDN, I became the chapter president at UMass Amherst and I served as that for a couple of years. And then I'm actually still somewhat involved with alumni stuff to this day. But yeah, it's been, it's been really interesting to say that connecting with other type ones is my favorite part, considering I was so against it when I was a kid. But now I just love it. I love meeting new people and you have that instant bond through diabetes. And it's just so funny and weird because diabetes is such an annoying thing to deal with a lot of the time. <laughs> so it's just really neat that something like that, that can be perceived as so negative, can really be powerful in bonding you with others. Do you ever wish that you had connected with other type ones when you were younger? Yeah, I kind of do wish I had met other type ones when I was younger. Um, it might have really influenced my decisions in terms of like my diabetes care and management. Like, for instance, if I had gone to diabetes camp, then maybe I would have been more willing to try a pump sooner. I didn't even start pumping until about five or six years ago. So that's well into my life with diabetes. Wow. Um, yeah. So I wonder, you know, maybe if I had peer influences back then, you know, maybe I could have learned more and maybe gone through a little bit less trial and error with my, you know, care and management growing up. Okay. So if that's your favorite thing, connecting with type ones, what's your least favorite thing? There's a few least favorite things, but probably the biggest one of all is that it never stops. <laughs> it's a 24-7, 365 chronic illness. And even when I'm sleeping or any, when any type one is sleeping, they don't get a break from it. You know, we all deal with, if, if we have Dexcoms or if we have, you know, other devices, then we get those alarms in the middle of the night that wake us up and we have to react and respond. We can't just shut them off. It's very different from a snooze alarm <laughs> when you're supposed to wake up in the morning. Um, so yeah, the fact that it's so relentless is definitely my least favorite part about it. So you mentioned you're on Omnipod and CGM, right? Yes. And you're still on those? Yep. I'm still on um, the Omnipod insulin pump and then the Dexcom G6 CGM. Okay. How did you pick those? So the Dexcom was introduced to me shortly before I went to college, actually. My mother had worn it first. She, she had gone through a trial period at the endocrinologist. We both see the same endo. We've seen the same endo for many years now, actually. And we just recently switched to a new endo, but we're both seeing her. So it's just funny that we kind of follow each other along. But um, she tried it for, I think it was a week-long trial. She decided that she hated it. <laughs> she did not like having that access to information, like because it, it's a lot of information. Like It's getting updated every five minutes. So it can be a lot to handle. You know, I think 
she talked to my aunt about it. My aunt had also tried it and they were like, well, you know, Molly might like it. So at the time, I believe it was a Dexcom G4. So the technology was not as awesome as it is now, but it was still pretty good. And when I went on it, I was like instantly hooked. I was like, this is great. Like, this is going to be so helpful for sports and, you know, extracurricular activities because by the time I was a senior in high school, I was involved in so many things and staying on top of my blood sugar was getting more and more challenging. So it kind of worked out perfectly that when I went off to college, I was going to be on that. So that's how the Dexcom story started with me. And then with the Omnipod, again, my mom was the guinea pig at first. She went on it maybe six or seven years ago, possibly eight. And I actually didn't go on it for a year to two years after she did because her start with it was so difficult. She went on vacation maybe a week after starting it. And when you're getting used to a new piece of diabetes, um, you should probably make sure that, you know, you don't have any plans to like travel. You know, you want to make sure that you can contact your endocrinologist office if anything comes up. And, you know, she was just having a really difficult time. Like she was away at the beach. She didn't know that the adhesive might wear off and like her pod was falling off. A lot of different tips and tricks she had to pick up right away because of all of the curveballs that were thrown at her. So that scared me and I didn't want to try it for a while. But then eventually I did and I haven't looked back because I love it so much. It's funny you mentioned that you shouldn't start new technology right before a trip because last February was when I started the G6 Mm -hmm. and my G5 sensor, my last one, was ending right before a work trip. And I was talking to my husband, should I start the G6 and like get the software update and do all of that? Or should I do another seven days with the G5? And he's like, no, just just do it. Just do the G6. And I'm so glad I did because I did not check my blood sugar maybe more than three times on that trip. And it was so And the awesome. G6 was working for you perfectly the whole time? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Wow. It that's was awesome. awesome. It was so yeah. awesome. It was just so nice to not have to worry about it going through TSA and, and at the conference. and Definitely. Because that first day was just so late and I just didn't want to deal with anything. So I'm so glad I didn't have to calibrate. Yeah. That's, that's huge with the G6. But it's been interesting talking to others about it, not to like get onto a tangent about that, but just I know there's been mixed results with the G6. I know that I've had a few times where I just have not had an accurate sensor. Sometimes it just feels like the luck of the drawer. So, you know, every now and then it can be a little bit frustrating. Yeah, I did go on a ski trip a few weeks ago and one Mm -hmm. of the girls who went with us actually works for Dexcom. So I spent quite a bit of time talking to her about what was actually going on with my sensor at the time because it was giving, it was cutting out it was coming back and not giving me the arrow. And so she's like, oh, that's really interesting. I need to talk to my team about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think um, with any piece of diabetes technology, like you expect perfection. And when it doesn't deliver, that's what gets really, really just infuriating because you're literally putting your life in this device's Mm -hmm. hands. So you want it to be working perfectly 100% of the time. So I, I totally get like why some people just don't even want to do the technology. You know, it's, it can be a little bit too much and they'd rather just have 100% control themselves. So, you know, it's, that's, that's one of the things that is really interesting talking to other type ones and seeing the wide ranging perspectives out there on that. Yeah, definitely. So I've noticed with my CGM that I, I can perfectly tell whenever food is affecting my blood sugar. So kind of along those lines, what, what diet have you found works best for you to help manage your blood sugars, especially with that visibility with the CGM? So since I have the CGM, you know, it, 
it's interesting looking and seeing how certain foods will affect it. Yesterday, perfect example, I never eat cereal for breakfast, but I was really craving it. And there's a very specific reason why I don't eat cereal. And that's because of the high glycemic index and that food just kicks right in. And seeing those <laughs> double up arrows for an extended period of time yesterday was not how I wanted to start off a Friday morning at work, but I got through it and it was fine. So it's, I, I don't really even follow a specific diet, I guess, besides the everything in moderation for the most part. I eat low carb when I can, but that doesn't mean that I'm like, oh, I can't have any more than 20 grams of carbs per day. Like I don't do anything like that. I feel when I'm too strict with myself, that's when I'll just go off the rails and just mess up down the road. So that's, that's why I include everything, a little bit of everything. I definitely do try to eat as many fruits and veggies as I can. But, you know, I love carbs. <laughs> carbs are wonderful. And, you know, since I've had diabetes for 22 years, in that span of time, I have learned how different carbs will affect me. You know, going back to the glycemic index, I took a nutrition class in college and learned about that. And I found that extremely useful because it just made sense knowing, okay, this food has like more of a medium glycemic index or this one has a low one. So I might want to do an extended bolus and you know, maybe prevent a low from happening, but also try to prevent a high at the same time. So yeah, with, with my diet, I try not to be too strict because life's too short. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. I remember when I first kind of figured out the glycemic index, it was in response to wondering why bagels always made my number crappy first thing in the morning. Right. And then I realized bagels were literally the worst thing I could possibly eat. <laughs> yes. No, I like to tell people that things like bagels, pizza, like those giant pretzels, you know, I, of course I'll eat pizza. I, I had a slice last night actually, but things that are just so massive, like those giant pretzels or bagels, like I just, I'm like, you know, it's only worth it every now and then <laughs> because things like that can just be so difficult to figure out. And when you do figure it out and you figure out what works for you, it's the best feeling in the world. But then, you know, to have to go through several trial and error periods, that can get a little bit much. So, yeah. That's a nice segue into the topic of burnout. Yeah. So what does burnout mean to you? To me, burnout means enough is enough. Diabetes burnout, I've definitely experienced it myself. And those periods of time for me have looked like, you know, I, I just don't care to check my blood sugar. I don't care to carb count. I don't even care if I get my bolus correct for this meal I'm about to have. I'll still take it, but whatever. Like, <laughs> So maybe in that regard, burnout hasn't affected me as severely because I know that burnout can take many different forms. And the more severe forms include just not even taking insulin. But for me, those periods of time have just been captured by, you know, I don't care, don't want to do this anymore. Enough is enough. <laughs> what have you found that helps you with, with that? So when I do go through the burnout periods, the first thing I like to do is just kind of recognize it and remind myself it's okay. You're bound to experience this. You know, like I said earlier, diabetes is nonstop. So of course, I'm just going to get absolutely fed up and sick of it every now and then. So once I've kind of acknowledged that, okay, this is a period of burnout, like what are your next steps? That's when I try to just be gentle and kind with myself. I try to make sure that I'm exercising daily because that really does help me with my diabetes management. And then, you know, when you get the, those endorphins going, like you feel great. <laughs> so that's definitely a mood booster during those times. But one of my favorite things to do in terms of self-care is go for a massage or get a facial or just 
treat myself, you know, in any other way, like maybe a little shopping trip or just, you know, something that gets my mind off of it, helps me really relax or unwind. And self-care, the beauty of it is that it can take so many different forms for so many people. And you just kind of keep trying to see what works for you. And then when you find that, it's a wonderful feeling because you know that you can get through burnout as long as you practice that. So since we've both actually have, have had diabetes for over 20 years, you've had it for 22, I've had it for 24. What mm-hmm. are some of the major changes you've seen with diabetes over time? So that could be treatments, mentally, how you manage it, emotionally, any therapy, not just with like mind therapy, but the, the therapies that you use, and then like diet, life expectancy, or, or general expectations from type ones. Right. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I'm sure you can relate to this, but I feel like there's been a huge boom in just like different diabetes treatments and, you know, technologies and all of that, and even medications, especially in the last maybe five years or so. Even within the last year, there's been nasal glucagon that has come out on the market. And I think that's amazing. I've heard really great stuff about that. There's been inhaled insulin, which I never thought would be a thing. But, you know, I hear really good things about that too. So it's crazy, even just the technology. I remember the days of a 60 second blood sugar meter. Like it took a full minute. It was the longest minute of my life (laughs) whenever I would go to check my blood sugar. And those were the days where I was in elementary school. I had to go to the nurse's office before lunch every single day to check my blood sugar, draw up my insulin shot, you know, go through that whole process. And it was so slow compared to what we have now. I mean, we have five second meters. We have this continuous glucose monitoring technology, some of it which can stay on for two full weeks. I know that there are some CGMs that do that. So it's just, it's really neat because it shows that there's advancement in the diabetes world. You know, I'm sure you can also relate to the facts that we've been promised a cure pretty much every year. (laughs) Like, oh, the cure's coming. The cure's coming in five years. Like, don't worry about it. And I've grown very skeptical about that. But at the same time, the, the new technology, medicines, treatments, whatever, that's given me hope that, you know, it's not, we haven't just stalled, you know, there's still advancements to be made and life is hopefully just going to improve and just get easier and better. And hopefully diabetes will just become an afterthought after a while. If it's not cured, then at least it will be something that you can just put on on autopilot. That would be not really have to worry about, right? (laughs) And there's all these artificial pancreases out there, like to varying degrees. I know of different closed loop systems. I know that T-Slim just had this really great control IQ upgrade that people are absolutely raving about. I'm still waiting for Um, mine. Yeah, like I actually spoke to someone, a friend last week, and she has a tandem insulin pump and she, she's been on Control IQ for about a week now. She showed me her graph and it's just like straight, beautiful lines. And I was like, I have such line envy right now. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely, it, it's, it's great to see that there's continuing to be these, these awesome improvements in what we have. Kind of related to that. What are your thoughts on the insulin pricing hullabaloo going on right now? Like, have you been affected over the last 20 years with those spikes? So I'm actually wearing an insulin for all sweatshirt right now, <laughs> as I show you. That's obviously, that's a big social media hashtag that we all see these days. So I'm very fortunate. I have not had a horrific experience having to worry about affording my insulin per se. I've been able to get it. And, you know, I'm lucky that I do have insurance through my job. 
but last year was a very stressful time for me because I was turning 26. And that means I was getting off of my parents' health insurance and figuring out how to handle my own plan. And again, I will say I was extremely fortunate because the last however many years, my, my mom took care of everything for me. She ordered my insulin, all of my supplies, all of that. I, you know, I made my own doctor's appointments, but she really did the rest for me. And that's a lot of heavy lifting. So when I made that switch to my own health insurance, I was just absolutely freaked out. And it was probably two of the most stressful months of my life because I would say it took about two months for me to really get used to it, trying to figure out how my deductible worked, I'm trying to figure out how much, you know, my, my sensors, transmitters, insulin, all of that were going to cost. And I'll never forget getting an automatic message from Walgreens via email saying that my Humalog order was in at the pharmacy and it was going to cost $1,400. <laughs> and that was totally a mistake on their part. Like I, I don't get my insulin through Walgreens. Like so there was just like a miscommunication. So I didn't have to pay $1,400 for it. But I know that there are people out there who might have to. And that to me is probably one of the biggest injustices of all because when I was first diagnosed, insulin cost, I think, $25 a vial. And, you know, you have people out there who say, well, just get the generic insulin that Walmart produces or whatever, you know, it's not the same. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the camp that I recognize that there are a lot of people who are struggling and I'm hoping to get much more involved and active with the insulin for all movement because I think it's so important and it's something that shouldn't be a problem. Everyone deserves to have insulin so they can live. Yeah, I've seen those pictures of reader boards saying things like Narcan is free, but why isn't insulin when you need insulin yep. to live and Narcan is just to stop an overdose basically. Exactly. It's it's just mind-blowing. And a lot of people, like coworkers and friends, have asked me questions like, why is it like this? And I'm like, that's a great question. I don't know why it's like that other than corporate greed, which is awful. You know, it's, it's just, it's, it's simply not fair because people with diabetes didn't ask for this. I don't care what kind of diabetes you have. Nobody asks to be diagnosed with a chronic illness. And for the treatment for the, that chronic illness to be so unaffordable and just so ridiculously expensive is just not right. Definitely. So beyond your burnout self-care, kind of going back to that, what other kinds of self-care do you practice related to diabetes? Self-care, the, the other types that I practice, I just try to remind myself to take each day at a time. Try not to dwell on, you know, really rough days where like, no, I couldn't keep my blood sugar above 100 or days where I couldn't get below 300, you know? I think that's probably one of the most important things to remember is that each day with diabetes is going to be different in some form or fashion. You know, you can eat the exact same foods, practice the same exact exercise routine and have a two very similar days back to back and yet your blood sugars can still totally respond differently. So I try to keep that, you know, in the back of my mind. I, I never want to put that pressure on myself that perfection is something that I can achieve with diabetes because that just simply isn't anything that anyone can achieve. Everyone's idea of perfection is going to look different. I really love the idea of your diabetes may vary, which is something that I saw online a few years ago. And it's true, not one type of diabetes is the same on one person, you know, like uh, me and you, I'm sure we have different insulin to carb ratios. We have different things that work for us. 
So I think that's one of the biggest self-care tools that I haven't mentioned is just removing pressure from yourself when you can. That's a really good point. It's kind of funny. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Yet that's exactly yes. what we have to do with diabetes. Exactly. You cannot expect the same result. And it just, I feel so bad for like the people who constantly beat themselves up. I mean, I've been guilty of beating myself up before. Like, oh, you shouldn't have had that extra cookie or you shouldn't have, you know, done this or that, whatever it was. It's hard not to feel guilty sometimes with diabetes, but at the end of the day, like when you realize that this is something that you're going to live with forever, basically, you have to just keep that in context. It's like, okay, I'm going to have good days. I'm going to have bad days. And my job is just, just to kind of keep living life and not let it be controlled by diabetes. What's the strangest thing someone has asked you about your diabetes since we're so open about it? You know, the strangest thing someone's ever asked me or said about my diabetes probably relates to my devices. I guess people still are surprised to see what insulin pumps look like because they can come in a variety of shapes and sizes. And, you know, I wear mine in very visible spots all the time, like my arms, my legs. So in the summertime, like they're definitely out and people can see them. And someone asked me if it was a cigarette patch, like to stop smoking. And I was like, wait, are you serious? For starters, do I look or sound like I smoke? <laughs> and also it's just, it's just, since when do patches look like that? Patches don't need to have reservoirs as far as I know. <laughs> so I thought that comment was very unusual, but it's, it's also, anytime I get those kind of eyebrow raising comments, it's good because it's a teachable moment. I can explain, you know, hopefully someone will walk away with more knowledge than they had previously. And it's all good. I just take it in stride and I laugh along with the person. This is why I love it when people ask me about type 1 diabetes. As I have on my whiteboard at work, it's, I have type 1 diabetes. Ask me about it. <laughs> I, I, and I think that's great because, you know, I've had so many people in life say like, oh, I'm so sorry when they find out that I have diabetes. <laughs> and I'm like, why are you sorry? I'm not. Like, <laughs> it's okay. I've accepted it. And I find that since I'm so chill about it, it really does invite more conversation, which is great. Like advocacy and awareness are huge things. And like, I want people to know what it's like. So to have these conversations and just be really open about it, I think is a wonderful thing. So, And it can also lead to opportunities that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Because 100%. I'm so open. Yeah, because since I'm so open about it, one of my coworkers actually reached out after his son was diagnosed over Thanksgiving. And mm -hmm. if, if he hadn't known that I have it and I talk about it all the time, then he never would have reached out. So I actually have a very similar story. A few weeks ago, um, one of my father's coworkers reached out to me on Instagram and he said my 10-year-old my was just diagnosed. So my dad, you know, in speaking with this guy, he told him, oh, my daughter has a blog, like you should look at it. So him and his wife have been looking at my blog and looking at my Instagram. And I think they've found some comfort in seeing that I live such a normal life and I've had it for, you know, 22 years now. And I'm just living life like a normal person. You know, it's not stopping me from doing anything. So I hope that, you know, the message I can convey to them and their son is that, you know, it's a lot right now, but it'll get easier you know, over time and things will be okay. Definitely. Do you have a favorite or maybe a cherished memory from having type one? A favorite memory of my life with type one? Gosh, there's a few. 
but one that really sticks out right now is the first time I got to go to a College Diabetes Network retreat. They used to host this annual student retreat in Maine. I'm not sure if they still do it, but there was a few years where they would do it each summer, and they would take students from chapters all across the country, and we would spend a few days at these houses in Maine, and we would brainstorm ways to, you know, make our chapters better, how to be better leaders, and it would just be so inspiring to be around all these like-minded peers, you know. The first time I went, I was super nervous because this is, this was basically like my introduction to diabetes camp, Um, you know, but I was, I think, 19, 19 or 20 at the time, so I had no idea what it was going to be like to be around so many type ones for, you know, a few days. And I just immediately felt so at home and like I belonged and it was just so fun and wonderful to talk to all of these other type ones from across the country. Like we all come from different walks of life, but diabetes is what brought us there. And it was just a really awesome several days of innovating and coming up with, you know, ideas for our chapters to help them be more successful. It just, it makes me smile just thinking about it because everyone I met there was so smart <laughs> and they just inspired me in so many different ways. And it's, it's cool that I can say several years later, I still talk to many of these people who are still, you know, connected on social media. So yeah, that's definitely a favorite memory of mine. Now, kind of switching gears into your blog. I know we talked mm-hmm. a little bit about it earlier, but do you kind of have an elevator speech about what it's about, who it's for? like the message you're trying to get across with your blog? Sure. Yeah. Um, The reason why I created Hugging the Cactus was because I wanted to connect with others virtually. I have definitely been really involved in the diabetes online community in the last several years. Um, So this is just one more outlet besides, you know, the typical social media channels. You know, I've always been a writer. I've kept a journal ever since I could write, basically. So this was just an outlet for me to talk about diabetes specifically and how it affects me. So not only is it kind of a therapy for me to be able to write about it, but it's also for others. Like if someone reads one of my blog posts and comes away, you know, understanding diabetes better or being able to say, hey, me too, I've felt this exact same way as Molly or, you know, just anything, if they gained something from it, then that means everything to me. I just want to help others in any way that I can. And if me sharing my story online, if that's helping someone, then like, I feel like, you know, I've, I've accomplished my mission. So that's really what Hugging the Cactus is all about. What's the biggest change from when you first started and and now, like where it is now? So Hugging the Cactus launched a little over two years ago. And when it first started, I, I kind of knew what I was doing, like in terms of writing posts, like the writing part, I've always been very confident about, like, you know, once I just start writing, I just don't stop sometimes. So that was very easy for me. But there were other parts, like the technology part of it, like the coding, <laughs> a lot of that didn't come very easy. But then it's also one other thing that's really changed is how much diabetes has kind of exploded on Instagram. That sounds weird to say, but I feel like there are so many diabetes influencers out there these days, and it's exactly what it sounds like. These are people who are maybe not always hawking products related to diabetes, but, you know, they might have, like, a product that they're showcasing, and they're being paid to, like, do this sponsored advertisement, and, you know, it's funny because I feel like a lot of these people must have, like, professional photographers following them because they have such beautiful, perfect pictures, and the content is just there, and it's endless. 
so in the last couple of years, I felt more and more pressure to like try to compete with that. But I've also come to terms with the fact that diabetes isn't glamorous and I shouldn't feel like I have to make it seem like that for me. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting to see how like that's influenced me and my blog. And I like to think that I've stayed really authentic and true to myself from the beginning in that, you know, hugging the cactus and its mission has always been the same. I'm always going to be open and honest with my readers. And, you know, to me at the end of the day, that's what's important. Do you have a favorite post that you wrote? I really liked the series I did on metformin. So I don't really know any other type ones, maybe just two or three that I personally know, but I was put on metformin last year, which is traditionally an oral medication for people with type 2 diabetes. The endocrinologist that I was seeing at that time, you know, I had seen her for maybe 10 years and we actually just had to switch because she left her practice, which is very sad. But I'm kind of looking at this as an as an opportunity to connect with a different endocrinologist who might have different insights, whatever. But this endocrinologist who I saw for 10 years, she was looking at my daily insulin intake and she was like, you know, there have been studies, and I, I hate to go into this, but she said that there was a study about insulin as it relates to cancer, like, and there's an increased risk for cancer. It was some sort of study that she was citing to me. And she was like, I really think that if you took metformin, it would decrease the amounts of insulin that you have to take on a daily basis and, you know, it might decrease your risk for cancer. So before I continue, I just want to say that I don't know exactly what study she was citing. I don't think that anyone should panic <laughs> after listening to what I just said, um, because I initially freaked out and I was like, oh my gosh, I have diabetes. I can't have cancer. Like that's how my brain works, right? Like I, I just immediately jumped to the worst possible conclusion. And I was very reluctant. I was like, so wait a second, you want me to go on another medication that might decrease my risk, but we don't really know. And it just, it was very weird to me, but she kept on pushing for it. And I was like, I'll give it a try. And I tried metformin for, I think, four or five months before I just finally stopped because one, I wasn't seeing any huge improvements and two, taking it made me very nervous. I was afraid of low blood sugars. I did not have the time or energy to put into it to figure out how I should fix my insulin to carb ratios or correction factors. Like I just did not want to mess with it. And furthermore, when I started the metformin, I was going through a pretty stressful time in my life. And I think that was one of the reasons why it seemed like I was taking a lot more insulin than I, than I used to. You know, so I did, I decided to do a blog series on my experience with metformin because I wanted to be open about it. I wanted anyone, any other type ones who are using it, I wanted to maybe see if they would reach out to me and share their experiences. And if there were any other type ones who were thinking about going on it or, you know, might want to try it, I wanted them to like know about my experience. And it was just good for me to write because I think I did maybe five or six blog posts about it. And I saw over time how I was getting more and more frustrated with it and just didn't want to use it anymore. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed writing those posts and I think it, they really did help me, you know, ultimately decide this is not the medication for me. And I've been doing pretty well with my diabetes management ever since getting off of it. So wow, yeah. We will link to that series in the show notes so people can read sure. about your experience. That is, that's kind of crazy that you put type ones on metformin. 
Yeah, I mean, I had never heard of doing something like that before, but I trusted my endocrinologist, you know, entirely. And I guess it's not totally unheard of because there is another type one who lives maybe like 25, 30 minutes away from me. And she told me that she was on metformin now. And, you know, her experience has been pretty different from mine. She really likes it. You know, so again, it goes back to that point I made earlier about everyone's diabetes is different and it's going to respond differently to various treatments. So yeah, it was, it was a weird experience for me, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I at least gave it a shot because <laughs> no pun intended, <laughs> but um, you know, she, she really thought that I might benefit from it. And you know, when I didn't, she was fine with me stopping it. And then by that period of time, I was off to see a new endocrinologist. So. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any specific posts that have resonated a lot with your audience? Like you've gotten a lot of really good feedback on them? There was one I wrote not too long ago about how my diabetes has turned me into a control freak. <laughs> I was doing a lot of reflecting during that period of time. I think it was a couple months ago. And I was like, why am I such an obsessive planner in life? It's not just about, like, it, it's not just when it comes to my diabetes, it's like everything. Like, I need to know. Like if someone invites me to something, I need to know everything, like what time I'm supposed to show up, like who's going to be there, like all of the different possible variables in the situation. So I was thinking about that and I was like, oh my gosh, I think it's because my diabetes has showed me or made me think that I need to be in control of everything at all times and that the more prepared I am, the better, the better outcome possibly for my diabetes itself. So I wrote this blog post and I felt kind of funny about writing it because I was like, oh, it's kind of a weird thing to confess to the internet that like, I'm a control freak. <laughs> so I, I posted it and I didn't really expect anyone to comment on it. But one of my friends from the College Diabetes Network days, actually, he reached out and he was like, thanks for sharing this because I feel the exact same way about my diabetes. And I was like, oh my gosh, really? Like, <laughs> I thought I was the only one. So again, like that's kind of, that like proves the whole point of my blog, right? Like it's not only helping me to explore my own feelings, but it's also helping someone else feel less alone in their feelings. So that, I was glad that I wrote that post ultimately. It was, it was an interesting thing for me to reflect on and write and go back and read. So there are definitely moments where I'm a control freak about my, how often my blood sugar goes outside of my range. Those are the yes. moments where I rage bolus. <laughs> Yes. And, you know, it's just, it's just funny because with diabetes, you feel like you just need to be prepared for every possible scenario. And like when something unexpected happens, it can feel like the worst thing in the world. So that's definitely how, you know, diabetes really just controls so much of what you do in life. I'm starting to learn how to use them all as learning moments. I yes. gave uh, a presentation to over 100 people like a couple of days ago, and that was the first time I've been in front of that big of an audience. And my blood sugar was doing that nice little adrenaline high. And I could feel my pump vibrating, telling me I was high. I'm like, yep, yep, that's my blood sugar right there. But so it's now like I know the next time moments, that I do that, I'll bolus first. Exactly. But even moments like that, I'll say to myself, okay, your blood sugar might not be where you want it to be right now. But like, <laughs> for me, it's like, okay, I'd rather the high than the low. Because <laughs> in a situation like that, if I'm supposed to be like on my game speaking to people, I, I can't imagine doing that when dealing with a low blood sugar, like, and start having to deal with a shaky, like, sweaty sensations, you know? So oh, times yeah. like that, I'd be like, okay, the high is definitely something I can deal with for the next hour and then treat it and just let it go after that point. 
that was basically where I was at. I'm, I usually run high when I'm in stressful situations. And sometimes mm-hmm. I force myself to be a little bit higher so I don't have to deal with that low because I'm not going to pull out a roll of Smarties and then eat them while I have a microphone on my, on my lapel. <laughs> right. And then, you know, those Smarties are going to take 10, 15 minutes to kick in. So it's like, what do you do for those 10 to 15 <laughs> minutes? Right. It can be so stressful. Like, I wish people would understand that sometimes. Like, you know, diabetes most of the time is not going to affect me and how I interact with you, but there are sometimes when it will. And I need you to just kind of roll with it. Like whether I'm at work and I'm dealing with the low and like, you know, sometimes it will happen where a coworker will drop by my cubicle and I'll be coming up from a low, but it's like the sugar hasn't kicked in yet. And I can't form words <laughs> in that situation. So there have been times where I've been like, please don't be offended, but like, just give me a few minutes, you know, or there have been meetings I've been in where I've had to just run out really quickly to like check my blood sugar or treat it. And people understand, like, that's, that's why I find being so open about it to be really helpful because people aren't going to know, like, you can't just expect someone to, to know that, especially if they're not familiar with diabetes. So I found that just by telling others, it's, it's been really helpful in a wide variety of situations. How do you balance your work with your, or your day job and your, I guess your blog with your personal life? And how does your diabetes play into it? Because you just mentioned that when you're low at work and you're coming out of it, you might not be able yeah. to form words. <laughs> so my, my blog is like my, I guess my side gig slash passion project. So that's, that's not like my job or anything, but my full-time career is in the financial industry. So that's my, you know, Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 5.30 gig. And I found that you know, I, I started with this company when I was still in college. I was an intern for, for them. And then I came back and started a full-time job once I graduated. And I've been there for over five years now. And ever since my first day as an intern, I made sure that everyone around me knew about diabetes. And that really benefited me because it invited conversations so that people could learn from me. But it also, over time, people saw like, okay, it's just because she has diabetes doesn't mean that she can't she's not capable of doing her job just like the rest of us. So it allowed me to kind of prove to others like, okay, my, my diabetes isn't going to get in the way, but it's just, it's something that's there and I have to deal with it. And, you know, when we're having team lunches or something like that, like people don't even really notice whenever I take my PDM out and bolus for the food anymore. Like they, they don't, like, unless I mention, oh, my blood sugar is doing this right now, then people are just fine with it. And that's, that's really great that I can say that it really does not interfere with my work. I love that. This might sound weird, but I like showing people at work my blood sugar graph. <laughs> I No, I am the same <laughs> way because I think in every group scenario, you're going to have maybe two or three people, depending on the size of the group, who are very, very interested and want to learn more. So I have like a couple of those people at work who are always curious and, you know, they want, they want to know because they maybe they have like a fascination with medicine or maybe they know someone with type one and they'll be like, oh, what are you doing right now? Or like, oh, so your blood sugar is doing that. Like, how are you going to handle it? And it's really cool too, because I work with one other type one and, you know, he and I will commiserate in the kitchen sometimes and he'll pull out his insulin pump and we'll talk about like, oh, oh man, like the office potluck is today. Like, what are we going to (laughs) do? It's time to pre-bolus because there's going to be a lot of great food that we don't want to miss. So yeah, it's fun to, to share it with others like that. Kind of moving into our last few questions. Knowing what you know now, what advice do you have for the young diabetics out there? So for anyone who's, you know, 
in, in elementary school or middle school, whatever, anyone under age 18, I would just say wherever you are in your journey with diabetes, whether you were just diagnosed or you're a few years into it, don't ever let it stop you from doing something. You can do anything that you want, but you know, you just learn to manage diabetes as well <laughs> on top of it. Diabetes is one of the best ways to learn how to be a multitasker, I think. And that is an awesome skill and a skill that will pay off later on in life. So it, it can be frustrating. And I think that any young diabetic should know that it's okay to be frustrated with it and to have whatever feelings they want about it. It's how they choose to handle it at the end of the day. That's what counts. And they should never forget to stop being patient with themselves. You know, just, just take care of yourself. Don't let it get in the way. And you'll find that life with it is still great. That is great advice. What projects are you working on right now that you're really excited about? So the projects that I'm currently working on, obviously I still have my blog that I am always working hard to put up new and interesting content. I do post regularly Monday, Wednesday, and Friday each week. And I try not to do repeat content because I like to keep it exciting and have new stuff up there. So besides my blog, I'm really just kind of in a, in a moment right now where I really want to get involved more with the Insulin for All movement. Um, I think that policy advocacy and, you know, actually getting out there and writing to the people who can, who can change things is really important. And I'm just starting to explore ways that I can get more involved with that. And it's also become important to me, too, to go to more diabetes conferences. I have only been to a couple in my life so far. And, you know, th there's always reasons why you can't go, right? Like there's money's always a factor for everyone. And travel and time off from work, that's really hard to get. But I, I, I've started to get a lot more FOMO, <laughs> fear of missing out um, by seeing, you know, all this stuff on social media from people who are going to conferences meeting people, making those connections. So I actually did register to go to one of the bigger diabetes conferences this summer. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's Friends for Life in Orlando. And oh, is that the um, yes. Children with Diabetes Conference? Yes, it is. One of my really good friends goes to that every single year. So you, you might yes. bump into her at some point. Her name is Alexa Brenner. Oh, excellent. So I'm going to have to, I'll Search definitely follow out. up yeah. with you about that. Yeah. So I, I went to that once, I think, seven years ago it was now. And I was, I was very fortunate because I got a scholarship for it. And that scholarship covered my hotel and all I had to do was, you know, pay for the plane ticket. And it was so great. Like there were so many people with diabetes there. It was crazy in their families and just everyone was all different ages, came from all over the country and even the world, I think. I think there were some international people there too, which is awesome. So I decided this year, I was like, you know what, it's been too long since I last went to that conference. I feel like I'm at a place where I'm super involved with the community and there are many people who I've interacted with on Twitter or just like on Facebook or whatever. And I feel like they're, they're my friend already, but I have yet to like make that in real life connection with them. So I feel like that's going to be a really good opportunity to do that with some of those people and to meet others too, obviously. So I'm really excited about that. And that's, I think that's going to be really special to go to this summer. Awesome. So kind of related to that and the last question, where can people find you online besides so your blog? People, yeah, besides <laughs> the blog. <laughs> so the blog is huggingthecactus.com, but elsewhere on Instagram, I'm at huggingthecactus. 
and Twitter, my handle is Molly Joe underscore T1D, and that's M-O-L-L-Y-J-O-H underscore T1D. Twitter is definitely a place where I do a lot of interacting with the with the community, especially because there is this Twitter chat each week. Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern time, there is Diabetes Social Media Advocacy. They do a Twitter chat. So it's one hour of, you know, you have a host from that account tweeting questions and you answer them and you check out other people's answers. And that's where you can get a lot of really great conversations going. So if you have a Twitter account and you have not checked that out yet, I definitely recommend doing that. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank it's you. It's been great talking was, to you. This was so fun. Thank you so much. And that is it for this episode of This is Type 1. Thank you so much to Molly Johannes from Hugging the Cactus for coming on as a guest to the show. Remember, you can find Molly at huggingthecactus.com or on Instagram at huggingthecactus and on Twitter at Molly, J-O-H underscore T-1-D. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 28. That's the number 28. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode, please leave us a comment or send an email. You can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade, and our audio wizard is my husband, Tim. I'm on all social media as at Inspired Forward, and our email is colleen at inspiredforward.com. Jessie's on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send her questions or comments. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, family, and anyone else who might benefit from hearing from us. We'd also love it if you left us a review or subscribed wherever you listen, since that helps other people find us. Be sure to listen in next week when we talk about diabetics in the wild. What happens when you meet one? Things to remember if wild diabetics don't seem as interested in talking about it as you are. And how to handle it if you are the diabetic in the wild. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.